confidence. He always guides me. Come on.
Southview Baptist, how are we? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you with us here today. If you're new, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. So great to have you with us here today, worshiping the Lord together. I want to begin our time together by reading a scripture for us, Psalm chapter 7, all right? Psalm 717 says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Look at those two words specifically. I'll give thanks and I'll sing praise. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Sing praises to God. I want you to think for a moment why we do that. Why are you about to stand and sing? Not just because we throw words on the screen or we sing your favorite song. We sing praises to God because he's worthy of them. We give thanks to God because he's worthy of that. So... I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me this morning. We want to begin our time together in prayer. I want to give you a moment. Right now, I want you to consider one truth about God that you want to praise Him and give Him thanks for. Right? Just in your mind, one truth about God. Maybe it's His patience. Maybe it's His power. Maybe it's the fact that He is sovereignly in control of all things. Maybe it's the fact that he has forgiven you of your sin. He has delivered you from some significant struggle that you had had in your life. What's one truth about God that just brings thanksgiving and praise in you? Take just a minute right now in your prayers. Thank God for that. Just voice your own prayer to the Lord praising him, thanking him for who he is and what he's done in you. Now, everyone here, I want to encourage you to stand. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to sing here in just a moment. I want you to stand. And Lord God, as we stand together, as we stand together in praise and in thanksgiving, as we stand together, Lord, just in our own hearts individually, lifting praise and thanks to you, that you are a great and glorious God, that you are worthy to be praised, that you love us and watch over us, and desire good for us, and sent your son to die for us. So many amazing, unbelievable truths to thank you for, to praise you for. I pray, God, that that wells up inside of us now as we worship, and that our worship comes from the inside out, thanking you and praising you for who you truly are. And what we sing now, we sing because you're worthy of it. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate the truths of Christ.
for us our chairman, oh, here he is right beside us, uh, chairman of our admin team, Chris Calhoun. Uh, he's got an announcement for us, so take it away. How are you guys this morning? What a blessing it is to be here with you this morning. What a blessing it is to have our pastors. Uh, so some of you may know October is Pastor Appreciation Month. 
Um, and uh, in the past, we've done something for our pastors every year, but uh, somebody in the congregation reminded us recently. They said, we haven't seen you guys up on stage recognizing our pastors. Um, but I, I do, we, we said, you know, financially, we, we, we reward them in October, and we're thankful for them, and we tell them all the time. But ceremony is so important, making sure that we publicly let them know how much they mean to us. Uh, is Steve in here? Steve, can you come up? So this morning, we wanted to take a minute uh, to, to, uh, to call out our pastors, to thank them for the work that they do. And, uh, and so as the chairman of the admin team, you guys are super, super generous. Um, and I can't tell you uh, just over the years the, the accolades that the pastors have seen and, and just the, uh, the, the love coming from the congregation. But I did want to point out just one thing for our pastors. Um, Southview is an anomaly. Uh, Southview is a wonderful church, and over the past few years, we've seen such unity in the church. We've seen such love in the church. We've seen such growth in the church and disciples uh, and just the family of Southview Baptist Church. Uh, and and that, doesn't, that doesn't come naturally. Uh, that comes from a work of God in this body. It comes from the Holy Spirit being active in this body. But it also comes from the leaders that Christ has appointed uh, to oversee this body of believers. Uh, and so they constantly pray for us. Uh, they, they are diligent in prayer uh, against spiritual warfare. Uh, they're constantly in the word. They're learning and they're teaching and they're guiding and they're counseling. Count and, and their leadership is so, so important. And you see that as a reflection in the body. Uh, and so we just, want, we just wanted to take this opportunity to, uh, to remind us what great pastors we have and what a great church that we're able to come to. I can tell you, having, uh, having a couple of kids now that have gone off to college uh, and talking to some of the other guys on the deacon board that have it the same way, churches like this are not all over the place. It is very, very difficult to find a biblically-based church where Christ is preeminent uh, and is preached often from the pulpit. So we thank you guys so much. And so in the 930 service, we're going to be recognizing Steve and Scott. Um, and, uh, and in the 11 o'clock service, we're going to be recognizing uh, Ryan and Pastor Brad. But I do want, in addition to us publicly um, acknowledging what a gift they are, uh, please seek them out uh, and shake their hand and let them know that you're thankful uh, because it is a difficult job to lead a church. Uh, and it is one of intense spiritual warfare. So pray for them, thank them, uh, and let's use this time of this year so that we can acknowledge what uh, gift they are to us. Thank you. Steve, uh, Steve, what, what a blessing you are uh, to have a man that is so gifted in the word and seeks uh, God's face every day. Um, we, we are so thankful that you're able to guide us uh, in that way. We're thankful for the impact that you make in disciples in this church, and we're so thankful that you, the impact that you continue to make with the kids, uh, you kind of carrying that dual role. So, uh, and thank you, and these are not for you, these are for your bride, uh, but uh, I'll get you flowers if you really like them. Oh, I know, Scott, so thankful for you leading worship. Um, just being able to bring us into an opportunity to where we can uh, see God uh, and, and call out his name uh, and just uh, bow at his feet. Uh, such a blessing. Uh, the music's fantastic, but it's not just that. Uh, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to move uh, and bringing us into an opportunity for worship. We're so thankful for you, uh, thankful for your bride, and thankful for your family as well.
Yes, absolutely. Just lay your hands on this guy. Now. Yes, absolutely. Dear God, we love you so much, and we are so thankful that, uh, that you have brought us to this place. We're thankful for this building, but we know the building is not the church. It's the people in the church, and we know that you love your people so much. Uh, you love your people way more than we ever could, and yet you send us fantastic leaders so that they may shepherd over us. Uh, the Bible is clear that pastors should pray for the congregation. They should pray for the direction of the church. They should, uh, they should be diligent in the word in teaching that uh, to the people of the church. And, and wow, you, you've, just, you've amazed us with the leaders that you've brought for that. We thank you for that. We pray for these men. We pray that you will keep them strong in the midst of spiritual battle. We know where your work is great. We know spiritual battle is great. Uh, we know the devil, the devil really pays attention to the things that you find precious. So we pray that as these men continue in their, uh, in their ministry, that you will guard them versus, versus, this, versus Satan. We pray that you will continue to build them up in Christ and in the knowledge of you and in, in your grace. And we pray that you continue to bless their families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. kill all the trees on earth so it's online you can go online and look for it look at there if you'd like i want to highlight three quick things all right um really the bulk of what we've done is just clean up and polish some things no big substantive changes the church still runs the way it's always run organized the way it's always been organized nothing about that changes in any way we just kind of clean some language up but there are three things that we have shifted and I want to just let you know that so they're not needles in a haystack. You're trying to find them if you go looking, all right? One is this. We are beefing up in our bylaws language on gender, sexuality, and marriage. Um, we are clarifying in our official documents what we as a church believe, that God creates men and women, uh, and they stay what God made them for all of life. Um, we want to explain and understand that we believe marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life. 
um, that uh, it is just heterosexual. Uh, so we are adding in our bylaws some language to sort of beef that up a little bit. Um, what we would consider to be a biblical marriage, what marriage that, what weddings we would allow to have take part here in our congregation, things like that. Uh, we're entering into a season as a society where you have to clearly articulate these things. And in case by chance someone were to come and push in on that, we want to, um, on uh, advice from legal counsel, be able to say, look, these are our legally agreed upon binding documents of the congregation. If this is what we believe, this isn't just some random idea from a pastor. Uh, this is what we as a congregation believe because the Bible teaches this. And so as you go to the bylaws, you read through that, it's going to lay out biblical understandings of gender and sexuality and marriage along with scripture references to back that up. So we're beefing that up. So that's one thing that's going to be different you'll see in the bylaws. Second thing that's going to be different is we're increasing the spending limits. That doesn't have to go to you as a congregation. Right now, if we try to buy anything over $10,000, you as a church have to vote on it. Now, a couple of things about that. When that limit was created, uh, one, the budget for us as a church was significantly less than it is right now. So ten grand was a big deal. Second, you could buy a lot more stuff for under $10,000. Now we're having to come to you for a lot of things. Uh, hey, an, air, an AC unit went out, and we can't fix that until we give you two weeks' notice for you to vote on a $12,000 unit. So what we're doing is we're increasing it from $10,000 to 2% of the budget, right? So whatever the budget is, if it's less than 2% of that, it doesn't have to go to a church vote anymore. So for us, hypothetically right now, that would put the number at around $20,000. So basically doubles what it is right now. So that's going to be new that you'll be voting on. The spending limit that goes to the congregation goes from $10,000 to 2% of the budget. And then third is this. We're going to be voting on transitioning from Robert's Rules of Order to General Consensus. So if you grew up Baptist, all right, the whole Robert's Rules of Order thing, where it's, you know, I and second and, I, I, and all the things, our legal counsel has encouraged us to move away from that to General Consensus, mainly because no one knows how to do Robert's Rules of Order, right? Like, no one, we spend half our time going, wait, do we second now or do we not? I'm, I don't know which one it is. And so what he's encouraging us, especially when we're getting into things like gender and sexuality and all those sorts of things, significant issues that could potentially end up in legal um, avenues, clearly setting up how we understand how we vote on things and agree on things so that hypothetically, if we were to ever end up in court and someone were to say, well, you say that your church voted on that, yes. Well, can we see your minutes? Well, then here you go. Well, you didn't specifically, in detail, follow Robert's Rules of Order. So everything that your church says that you did, you actually did not do. And so now we're all in a mess. So what we're going to be transitioning to is just general consensus. What that means is this. If there's something that needs to be voted on, we're going to tell you two weeks in advance, just like always. Then we're going to get together at the certain time. We're going to give you ample time to ask whatever question that you have and answer however we can. And once a certain amount of time has passed and everyone feels like their questions have been adequately answered, we're going to vote. And then 50% plus one wins the day. Make sense? Just makes it simple. General consensus. We're not I and second and now going to get the motion. We're not messing with any of that because, to be honest, none of us are sure exactly how that works. So it's just general consensus. Let you know. Here's what we vote on. 
certain amount, certain percentage, wins the day, and that makes it very simple, very easy. Everyone understands exactly how the process needs to work. So that's the big thing. So we're voting on budget, leaders, and some bylaw changes. If you have any questions about that, you can come talk to myself, anyone on our admin team, or just anyone who looks like they're smart, just ask them. And, um, and we'll try our best to answer those questions as best we can. But that is it. That's two weeks from today, November 13th, 4 o'clock. Come and be a part of that. All right. I think that's my last announcement. I think that's it. So Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So we're working our way through the book of Titus. And what we're seeing in Titus is gospel thinking leads to gospel living. How you live matters. God really cares about how you live. It's a big deal to him. But how you live is affected by how you think. It's affected by how you understand who God is and what the gospel is and how Jesus has changed you. And that's the whole point of the book of Titus. How you live matters. It matters to God. It matters to the world. It matters to the church. How you live actually matters. And how you impact and change how you live is by seeing God for who he truly is, the gospel for what it really means for your life, and how you're changed in Jesus Christ. So we're going through the book of Titus. We're in Titus chapter 2. And we're in a section where it's going through different age groups and genders in the church, older men and older women and younger women and younger men. And it's talking specifically about each of these and what they should be doing. Last week, we saw younger women. And younger women, God's commands to younger women revolve predominantly around the family, marriage, and kids. Today, we're going to see younger men, all right? So Titus chapter 2, verse 6, here is God's directive to younger men. Titus 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. That's it. That's it. Urge the young men to be self-controlled. So let's think about this for a second. The older men had six directives towards them. The older women had five. The younger women had seven things. Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. The younger men have one. Be self-controlled. What do you think about that? Like, what wells up in you when you hear that? All these other groups have all of these things. And in fact, younger men, they're not even the only group to be told to be self-controlled. Older men are told to be self-controlled. Younger women are told to be self-controlled. Later on in chapter 2, the entire church is going to be encouraged to be self-controlled. But when he's speaking just specifically to young men, just young men, the only thing he says to them, right? Older men, you need to do this, 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 this. Older women, you need to do this, 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 this. Younger women, you need you to do this, 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 this. Younger men, just stop. Right? Stop what? All the things. All right? Just, I tell you what, guys, here's, here's the thing. Just control yourself. Let's just start there. It's brilliant, actually. Right? I mean, have you met a guy? Self-control, specifically within younger men. Isn't this the absolute 
perfect wisdom of God? Ladies, if you're married, let's just be honest for a second. How differently is your home? How different is your home if the only thing that changes in your husband is now he's self-controlled? How different is the home? He's self-controlled in his anger. He's controlled in the way he speaks to you and the kids. He's controlled in his lust. He's controlled in his appetite, how much he eats and how much he drinks. He's, if the only thing that changes about him is he's now self-controlled, how huge is that? If you have a teenage son and the only thing that changes about that kid is he now is able to exhibit self-control. How different is your house now? Right? I mean, all the things just stop. If you work specifically around young men, let's, all right, let's, let's get really specific for our area. If you're in the army, Maybe if you're like a, a senior enlisted, a big part of your job is leading and overseeing young men. How easy is your job now if those guys just practice self-control? Right? You leave on Friday, you're like, guys, don't do anything stupid. Nothing stupid over the weekend. That's the only rule. And then you come in Monday morning and you got this whole, your desk is overflowing with stupidity. You got it fixed now. Young men... Walking in self-control changes everything. So look at this verse again. Titus 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. So let's kind of unpack this just for a second. I want you to look at, first word I want you to kind of underline is urge. All right? So uh, the ESV that I have is going to use the word urge. Yours may say encourage, um, exhort. So the word urge, it literally means to, to call someone alongside, parakaleo. This is the only group, right? Not older men, not older women, not younger women. This is the only group where this word is used. Every other group is like, hey, teach them, encourage them, instruct them. This is the only word where they're told, Call these men to yourself. The idea is you're, you're going up to these young men, you're putting your arm around their shoulder, and you're saying, look, you need to do this. Right? This is an urgency. Urge them. Call them to yourself and teach them, encourage them, rebuke them, model for them a life of self-control. I think it's extremely significant that the only group in all of this section that... Titus is told, look, urge them, call them to yourself, wrap your arms around them and implore them, beg them, lead them, beat them if you have to, help them learn self-control. I think it's huge, especially now, again, tell me that the Bible is not extraordinarily relevant. Don't we have in our society today a crisis of immature young men, Right? A crisis of immature young men. One pastor calls them boys who can shave. Right? They're not men. 
I mean, even just statistically, look at just the stats. According to the Nielsen Media Marketing Research, the number one demographic for buying and using video games, 18 to 34-year-old men. Now, if you're a gamer, I'm not making fun of you, a little, but not a lot. Number one, right? Not your 12-year-old nephew, the 30-year-old. Number one, the ages where men get married, move out of mama's basement, get a job, have a mortgage, that age is creeping higher and higher and higher and higher. We have a crisis of immature young men. And it is profoundly significant that the Bible sees this and knows this. The Bible sees that this could potentially be a problem. So the Bible says, Call these young men to self-control and maturity. Get a hold of yourself. Grow up. Be a man. It's huge. And this is a massive push for us in our ministry. We want to call young men to great maturity in Christ. And it centers around here, self-control. That word self-control... Um, Depending on what version of the Bible you have, King James translates it sober-minded. New American Standard translates it sensible. It's not complicated. The, the word here for self-control in the Greek is sophron, and it literally just means to get yourself under control. Control your mind in a way that allows you to control your body. And self-control is huge. Right? I mean, even, even the lost world knows this. In 1972, a famous study called the Stanford Marshmallow Test happened. It's amazing. You can Google it. The idea was this. So these social scientists there in Stanford, they got a whole bunch of five-year-olds. And one by one, they put these five-year-olds in a room, and they put a marshmallow in front of them. And they said, okay, here's what you can do. You can either eat the marshmallow now, or you can wait, and we'll give you two marshmallows later. And then they left the room and just left the kid in their room by themselves, and then they just watched. And some, I mean, before the door was even shut, they were like, <laughs> right? But there were others that tried self-control. And it was amazing all the little tricks and gimmicks that they tried to do. Like some would pick it up and play with it like a ball, throw it against the wall. Some would just kind of squish it. One kid began licking the table around the marshmallow like somehow... Through osmosis, like maybe it, it creeped in. But here's the amazing thing. After that, they broke everybody into marshmallow eaters, eaters and marshmallow not eaters. And then they followed those kids all the way through adulthood. And you know what they found? There were significant differences between the eaters and the non-eaters. Those who had self-control to not eat the marshmallow, on average, grew up to have less discipline issues in school, better grades in school. On average, they had higher SAT scores. They had more friends. As they entered into adulthood, they were less likely to fall into things like, like overeating or smoking or excessive drinking. 
They were less likely to give in to uh, some kind of addiction. And even the non-eaters versus the eaters, the non-eaters on average literally just ranked their life as happier. There is something about self-control. But we don't believe that just because some social scientists did it. The Bible teaches this. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, in ancient times, the wall around a city meant everything. The wall kept the bad guys out, kept the robbers out, kept the enemy invading army out. It didn't matter how big your army was, how big your city was, how wealthy it was. If you did not have a wall, eventually, over time, your city was going to fall. And it describes a man without self-control the exact same way. It does not matter how big you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, how wealthy you are. If you don't have self-control, it is a matter of time. You will fall. You will fall. This means everything. 2 Timothy chapter 2 teaches us that when we believe by faith in Christ, we are given the spirit of self-control. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that self-control is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This comes from God. Self-control is significant. It is the foundation for all other spiritual growth. If you do not have self-control, very likely you're not going to be growing in the other fruits of the Spirit. That's why in Galatians, I think it's significant that it's the culmination, the last fruit mentioned, this pinnacle, self-control. I love what pastor, author, Chuck Swindoll said about this passage. I just want to read it to you. Chuck Swindoll said, Paul is telling Titus, help younger men learn how to apply the brakes to life. Help them understand how to bridle their tongues, how to control their tempers. Help them know how to curb their ambitions, to purge themselves of greed. Show them how to master their sexual impulses and how to follow their minds instead of their glands. Teach them to be responsible stewards of money rather than squanderers. Show them the rewards of unselfish leadership and the folly of self-centered pursuits. Ladies and gentlemen, self-control matters. For young men, yes, but for all of us. So how do we grow in self-control? I want to give you just a few quick ideas, and then I want to bring in another scripture and kind of bring it all together for us, all right? It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll give you three things, all right? When it comes to self-control, because isn't this the one thing we, we want, right? I mean, every New Year's resolution, we're coming up on New Year's real soon. It's going to be here fast, and we're all going to have New Year's resolutions, and it's all in some way, shape, or form going to revolve around self-control probably, Right? Right, I want to I quit smoking, and I want to lose weight, and I want to control my mouth. I don't want to be controlled in the way I speak anymore. I want to control my mouth. Right, and it's January 1, and you're excited, man. And by January 10th, you're smoking two and a half packs a day. You gain 50 pounds. You're cussing out grandma. Right, we've got no self-control. So how do we do this? 
How do we grow in self-control? I'll give you a few quick things, and again, a scripture to kind of bring it all together. One is this. Step one, be honest about the fact that you need self-control. Be honest about the fact that you need it. I need it. The fact that we're commanded to be self-controlled in the Bible means two things. Number one, that means for every one of us, every one of us is commanded self-control. Again, the specific focus here is young men, but for all of us, we're all commanded for self-control, which means two things. Number one, every single one of us have something inside of us that needs to be controlled. Right? That means you. That means me. Every one of us, if we're commanded to self-control, that means there's something that needs to be controlled. Our appetites, our desires, our lusts, our longings, we need to control them. And a lot of times self-control, it's not that there's a bad thing trying to come into your life. Usually they're good things that get out of control. It's like a, in your house. If you set a fire in the fireplace, it's controlled and it's good. It provides warmth for your home. But if you set a fire in your kitchen, it's not controlled. It's going to burn your house down. This is how self-control works. God gives us a good thing, but it must be held in control. Food is a gift from God and one of his better ideas. But if it's not controlled, it leads to gluttony. Sex is a gift from God. But if it's not controlled within the confines of covenant marriage, it becomes sexual immorality. Good things, not controlled rightly, end up being destructive things. Like a fire in a fireplace versus setting a fire on your kitchen floor. How you control it matters. So number one is this. Let's be honest about the fact that we need to control something. And if you're commanded to be self-controlled, that means you do somehow, somewhere, we'll chat about it in a second, have the ability to control it. This is encouraging good news. Something in you needs to be controlled. And the fact that God is telling you to do it means there is a way that can happen. Be of good courage. There is something to be controlled. And the fact that God is commanding you to do it means that is possible. So then that brings us to my next thought. How do we do that then? How do we control? It comes from this. True self-control only comes through Christ. So think about it this way. When we try to have self-control, we go to one of three ways to find self-control. We either try to find it inward, outward, or upward. Okay? We either try to find self-control inward, outward, or upward. When you're trying to find self-control inward, you're trying to work up self-will and discipline. Right? You're trying to work up willpower. Anybody ever tried this? Feels miserably, doesn't it? Right? You get all excited. You're like, you know what? I'm doing it. And I, I'm serious this time. Right? I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm committed. I'm excited. I got my plan. Let's go. Right? You're trying to work up self-control by looking inward. And usually, it fails dramatically, doesn't it? So we try to look inward. It doesn't work. Secondly, we try to look outward. That means we try to find something else to distract us or some other activity to take that spot, right? So you smoke and you want to stop smoking. 
So you try to stop smoking. You find that when you eat, it kind of dulls that a little bit. And so, and so you just, every time you want a cigarette, you just eat. Right? And so on the one hand, you've eventually broken the habit of smoking, but now you're overeating. Right? So outwardly, you're trying to find some outward way to help you with self-control. And it just usually ends up with trading one bad thing for another bad thing. Right? So then you're like, okay, well, I'm overweight. I got I to gotta, I gotta get better. And so, so you find some ridiculous diet plan. Right? It's some charlatan at 2 a.m. sold you on TV. And it doesn't work. You're trying to now trade externally. All right, so for this thing, I'm going to trade it for this. I'm going to trade it for this. It doesn't work. So we try to find self-control inwardly with, with willpower. It doesn't work. We try to find self-control outwardly by finding another activity to fill in the spot. It doesn't work. So how do we get self-control? It's not inward. It's not outward. It's upward. It's about Christ. You saying no to things in this world is not necessarily so much about you saying no to them, but about you saying yes to Christ. That's, That's the difference. difference. If you were able to stir up willpower in you, or you were able to find a better activity, who gets the glory there? You. The entire Christian life is meant to be about Jesus, not you. Why is it? I know the word self-control can throw us off, so we've got to think, well, I've got to do it. No, Galatians 5, it is a fruit of the Spirit of God. How is fruits developed? Well, think about the fruit of children. The fruit of children bears out as a result of intimacy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit bears out in your life as a result of intimacy with Christ. You grow in your intimacy with Jesus and you will bear out more of the fruit that comes as a result of that. One of that being self-control. Uh, I want to read one scripture to you. Um, you can turn there if you like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 13. We'll start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says, listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see what's happening there? You're no longer controlling yourself. Jesus Christ is controlling you. And he's doing that because you realize that he's the one that died in your place for your sin. So you give your life totally to him and you let him have control. It's not about you saying no to things in this world as much as it is you saying yes to Christ. And, and, and third thing I want you to see. Self-control is a gift that must be pursued. Think about it biblically. So... The nation of Israel, they come out of Egypt and they're given the promised land. It is a gift from God. God is giving them the promised land. But if you've read through the book of Joshua, while God gave them the promised land, they still had to what? Go take it. It was a gift. It was given to them by God, but they had to go fight for it. 
Self-control is a gift from God, but you're not going to fall accidentally back first into self-control, are you? It is a gift from God that must be pursued in the grace of God. And so it works like this. Literally, it's every moment of every day of saying, Lord Jesus, I want to say yes to you. What do you want me to eat? What do you want me to think? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to orient my life? It's about you seeking and pursuing and saying yes to Jesus and allowing him to have control in you. It's about, and, and the more you do this, the more you seek, it may have to be a thousand times a day, but eventually it becomes that, that muscle memory. I think about my oldest daughter. Her first car was uh, a 98 Jeep, um, and, but it had a stick shift, right? And, and she had no idea how to drive a stick. So I'm like, all right, baby, I got good news. You are about to learn a skill no one your age knows. So we found a parking lot, and I put her in that, you know, drove around and showed her, right, here's what you're going to do, right? Clutch, gas, right, you're going to do it. You got it? Got it, Dad. Let's do it. Right? She hops in that driver's seat, and she makes it like three inches. Right? It's... And, and eventually she looked at me, and she said, I can't do it. I quit. Or she goes to get out of the car. Like she's like, I'm done. I'm out. Like, uh uh-uh, uh, boo. Nope. Have a seat. No, no, no. You're going to learn this. And so she had to focus and think about it. And then it clicked. And then even after it clicked, for weeks after that, what she's having to really think about her, right? Clutch, gas, yeah, yeah, And she and she still hit a gear ever so often and still at a stoplight ever so often. But she stuck with it. She had to think about it and focus. But now. She's a year in. It's just muscle memory. It's just how she drives. She jumps into our car now. She's like, how do you drive this thing? Where does, where does my left foot go? I don't know what to do. Same thing with self-control. Like it's, you're going to have to seek the grace of Jesus a lot to say yes to him and no to the world. But as you do this more and more and more and more and more, the spiritual muscle memory develops and grows. As you grow in intimacy with Jesus and time with Jesus and time in his word and time in prayer and time seeking him throughout the day, as you do this more and more and more and more, it becomes your spiritual default mode rather than something you had to remember later. Oh, yeah, forgot I'm going to ask our band to come up, and I want to look at one more scripture for us. Titus 2, 11 and 12. We've got it there on the screen. If you go back to Titus 2, you'll see it. How do we do this? Right? How do we bear out self-control? What Titus is going to show us again is it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that trains you to walk in godliness. Right? So look at Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, what's our word? Self-controlled, 
upright and godly lives in the present age. How do you live self-controlled? How do you do this? Well, the Bible gives us two things here in 11 and 12. First is this. You need to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to see how amazing it is that you deserve damnation in hell. But Jesus died in your place to set you free from that sin and then to give you a brand new nature. The old is gone. The new has come. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're a child of God. Jesus is your big brother. And he loves fighting bullies for you. Let him do it. He loves punching them things out that try to come up and sneak upon you. Let your big brother take care of you. It says there in verse 11, the grace of God that's synonymous for the gospel has appeared. The word appeared is the same word to describe a sun rising. So here's the thing about the sun rising. Ready? Not only do you see the sun rising, but the light from the sun allows you to now see everything else more clearly. Yeah? Not only do you see the sun, but the sun allows you to actually see everything else for what it truly is. And this is the way it's describing the gospel. You don't just see the gospel. You don't just see that Jesus died for your sin and was buried and rose again. I trust Jesus. Take away my sin. It's not just that. You're not just seeing the gospel, but through the gospel, you're seeing everything else for what it really is. You're seeing God for who He truly is. You're seeing yourself for who you truly are. You're seeing this world for what it truly is. So step one, you see the glory and awesomeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then step two, verse 12, you allow the gospel to train us, to teach us, to encourage us, to renounce, to turn away, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to pursue, to seek, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. You are saying, God, I know that I've been made new in you. I know that I'm different in you. I know that I, the old is gone and I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I know this is true of me. So as you go through life, God convicts and God encourages and God corrects. And as he does that, you, you say yes and amen. I see what you're doing here, Lord. He's training you. The gospel is training you. And as you every day seek to live controlled by the love of Christ, controlled by the Spirit of Christ, you seek to say, Jesus, I want to say yes to you. And as a result of that, no to all the other things. You're walking, you're growing, you're developing, you're being trained up in the gospel to live out who you've already been made to be, a righteous and holy child of God. So we want to end our time here today giving you a chance to remember that and focus on that in communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, on the back of the pew in front of you, you've got these little cups. You can pull one out. The top layer there is going to be the bread. If you pull the bottom layer out, that's going to be the juice, and we'll get to both of those here in just a moment.
But the reason we want to do this today is because we want Titus 2, 11 and 12 to well up in us and be foundational for us, for self-control and for everything else. It starts first by allowing the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to appear, to rise, to shine in your life so that you not only see the truth of the gospel, but through that you see everything else now. I see that I'm a child of God. I see that I've been forgiven. I see that I've been made new. I see that old stuff has been thrown out. I see I can now live controlled by Jesus Christ. You see it now. And as a result of seeing it, you say, Holy Spirit, train me. I submit to you. I fall on you. I need you. Holy Spirit, train me. So this morning, I want you to start first by just you in prayer. And I want you to, to ask the Lord first, that verse 11, ask the Lord to allow you to see more clearly the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that you deserved total and complete separation from God in hell. Your unrighteousness deserved the complete and full wrath of God. But God saved you from his own wrath by pouring that wrath onto his son. And then he didn't just save you. He made you new. He made you his child. He filled you with the spirit. Take some time here this morning. Set your heart before the Lord. And let Him speak to you in this. As we think about the grace of God, what you have in your hands right now is just a, a symbol and a picture of that. The grace of God, what you have in your hands is a picture of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was given so that you can be set free and be made new, be made a child of God. So as we take part in this here in just a moment, Understand the significance of what it is we're about to do here. You are remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ shed for you to make you new. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your life. Thank you, God, that you would seek to give us your life through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. I pray, God, for us here this morning that we would see you for who you are and your gospel for who it is. And the, the sunlight of the gospel would rise so that we would not only see the gospel more clearly, but we'll finally see everything else in light of that. So we'll, so we'll say no to things because our first thought is going to be, that's not who I am in Jesus. 
We'll say no to things because we'll say, Jesus saved me from that. I'm not going to fall back into that. We see everything now in light of the gospel and who we are in you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. So as you take the top part off, you're going to take off the bread and take that off, please. And the scriptures would say that as Jesus would list his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and told them, this is my body. It's given for you. And for you, what you have in your hand right now is a small picture of the body of Jesus Christ given for you, broken for you so that you can be made whole. So that you can live whole. As you remember this and praise God for this, take and eat. As you then take off that next layer and and you have the cup. This symbolizes what the Bible would call the blood of the new covenant. Jesus shed his blood so that he could enter into a new and profound relationship with you. A relationship that's not based on your good works, not based on your ability to control yourself but based on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But because Jesus sacrificed himself for you, you now have the spirit-empowered ability to control yourself. This cup represents the blood spilt by Jesus to bring you in to a brand new relationship with God that sets you free from sin and makes you his child. As you praise God for this, remember this, take and drink. As we wrap up our time here, I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. One, you may need to come talk with someone. I'd love to come, come up front. I'll be up here. My wife will be up here. We'd love to talk with you if you'd like that. If you have questions as to what it means to be a Christian, please come talk to me. I want to encourage you with that and answer your questions and hopefully by God's grace lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Self-control is more about saying yes to Jesus than no to these other things. Set your heart on Christ. Let him make you new. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. We need you. Show us how desperately we need you and let us be changed by you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before you go, guys, real quick, a couple of quick announcements for you. Uh, Number one, if you're a guest, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, You can connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to uh, this number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT so we can get you plugged in together. Uh, But for everyone here, we've got three big announcements, all right? We want everyone to know. First is this, men's breakfast, November 5th. We got a men's breakfast on November 5th. Guys, you want to sign up for that by texting BACON, especially 
If you went on the men's retreat, I want you to be there because we're going to get a chance to hear some stories and, and uh, do some follow-up. And so, guys, sign up. That's November 5th. That's this coming Saturday. So sign up quick so we'll know how many to prepare for. Sign up by texting BACON. All right? We're going to eat a lot of it. So sign up by doing that. Second, November 12th, we've got a military event, Fireside Chat. This is going to be November 12th. Um, you can sign up for this as well um, just by showing up. So, November 12th at the fire pit. Out back, we've got a fire pit. Show up for that. If you're active duty, veteran, retired, spouse, any branch, does not matter, all right? Come be a part of that. It's a great time, camaraderie, coming together, spending time with one another. That's going to be November 12th. And then lastly, remember our business meeting, November 13th at 4 o'clock in just a couple of weeks. And for everything else, every other announcement, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play. You can give online to the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best. All right? Let me pray for you and let you go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for your life, for your love. We thank you, God, that you empower us to live self-controlled. I pray, God, that we would be controlled by the love of Christ as we see your glorious gospel See everything else in light of your glorious gospel. Be changed by you and then pursue you and seek you and chase after you. Yes, we've been given these things. We've got to go after them by the grace of God. I pray that we will for your glory. I pray specifically that you would raise up young men in this church to be God-inspired spirits field, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, responsible, self-controlled leaders who can bless this world and care for their wives, love their kids, and lead your church for your glory. Raise them up and let us be a part of that. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week.